This is the Best of the Adam Gold Show podcast, brought to you by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. New set of horns here, I guess, for us here, Victoria. I know. That does not sound familiar. It doesn't, but that's totally <laughs> fine. But you know what? You know what does sound familiar? What's that? The popping of pads at training camp. Popping pad time. Exactly. Popping pad time. All right. Carolina Panthers are getting ready for their first preseason game this week. That game is on Saturday. I will be there. Nice. I'm very much looking forward to, to being there. So, five things for the Carolina Panthers as we head into joint practices on Wednesday and Thursday against the New York Jets and the preseason game on Saturday. All right, five things, observations and stuff from camp so far and and just really from the weekend. The hot down Spartanburg this weekend, by the way. Hot everywhere, and it sucks. It does. But you know what doesn't stink right now? The Panthers' defense. And this is to be expected. So first thing here are these five things. The defense is ahead of the offense, and that's to be expected because base defense is so much easier to install than any sort of base things from your playbook offensively. Just having played football collegiately, defense is easy to install. For example, all right, base formation. This is where you line up when we call this formation. Okay, alignment. The second thing is assignment. Okay, if there's a run, I'm in charge of this gap. If it's a pass, I'm either covering this person or covering this zone. That's it. Alignment, assignment. And then the third thing is pursue the football. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's that basic. It's those three concepts when it comes. I mean, that's dummying it down to an extent. But those are the three things. That's it. Alignment, assignment, pursue the football. Now you can get into some more intricate stuff in terms of, okay, we have sub packages. If a guy goes in motion, some things along those lines. But once again, you always have your base concepts where offensively it's like, all right, formations, cadence, motions, timing of routes, not just timing of routes being run, but the timing of running backs trying to find the hole, set up their blocks, things along those lines. There's a lot more moving pieces and a lot more parts that go into an offense than it does a defense. Now, I know there are the OTAs and stuff during the offseason. You're kind of able to get a lot of that base install stuff done during that time. But once again, now that you are full 11 on 11, as opposed to just 7v7 in helmets, yeah, there's things that are a lot harder for an offense, and that's okay. So right now, by all observations, at least we saw over the weekend, there are some struggles offensively, and we're going to get into that here in a little bit. Some drop passes on Saturday and some frustration. Again, we'll dive into that here in a second. But the defense is going to be ahead of the offense, and that's okay. Yeah. You know why that excites me, Victoria? Why's that? Because I think the defense is going to be really good this season. I'm down. I think it's going to be really good. Now, there's a lot of contingencies in that. I think health at corner with Dante Jackson and J.C. Horn is paramount for the for this defense yeah. because they, once you get out to that, there's question marks with C.J. Henderson and others. But you never know. New coaching staff, who knows yeah. what the next level that these guys take. But also the versatility at safety for them with Von Bell coming in, still have Xavier Woods, and then also Jeremy Chin as well. So a lot of versatility there in their in their defensive backfield. So, yeah, defense is ahead of the offense, which leads me to my second thing defensively. The big question up front for the Carolina Panthers on defense was, all right, who's going to step up as an edge rusher opposite of Brian Burns, right? Brian Burns is one of the best in the league, simply put. I'm not going to sit there and rank dudes. I'm not going to do that, but he's one of the best in the league. He's just awesome. He's just awesome. Exactly. 
I'm, I'm not going to lie. Him wearing that zero. I know. Looks, it's sharp. It does. I'm not going to lie. It's pretty intimidating. I'm like, oh, who's this guy? Right. So the question is, opposite of Brian Burns, who's going to step up to be that guy? Now, Marquise Haynes has been dealing with an injury. They traded up in the third round to draft DJ Johnson out of Oregon. They've got Itor Grossmatos, who's in his fourth year, kind of playing a different position as opposed to defensive end, now playing outside linebacker. Amari Barna, who they drafted in the sixth round last year. Okay, it's this hodgepodge of guys. Who's going to step up? Well, there's a couple veterans that were floating around out there. One of them being Justin Houston, who the Carolina... Panthers just signed over the weekend. Justin Houston played with Baltimore last season, played with Frank Reich for a couple seasons in Indianapolis, so there is a familiarity there between head coach and player. But he signed with the Panthers this weekend as an edge uh, as an edge rusher. He's not going to be an every-down player, and that's okay. This is a guy who had nine and a half sacks last season for the Baltimore Ravens. Did have three straight games where he had multiple sacks. Okay, So there's still the burst and the level of production that's still there. If you look at some of the advanced numbers in terms of like the timing on average time to get off the line of scrimmage when the ball is snapped, he was like fourth best in the league yeah. behind like Nick Bosa, Hassan Reddick, and I think it was Brandon Graham. And we all know who Nick Bosa is one of the best edge wrestlers in the entire NFL. Pa- Carolina Panthers fans should know who Hassan Reddick is. They he should. was pretty good that one year he was here at Carolina. So, yeah, he's up there in terms of that, but he's not going to be an every-down player, and that's fine. And guess what? If it doesn't work out, you still have all those other guys that I had mentioned. But this gives you a little bit of veteran insurance. All right, let's get to the third thing. Bryce Young showed some frustration on Saturday. Oh, no. So, Bryce, and you know what? That's okay. That's okay. So, during a a drill on 11-on-11 on Saturday, there was a time where there's some stuff happening pre-snap that didn't quite go ex- the way the offense expected it to. And Frank Reich blew the whistle a little bit early because he was afraid there might have been a collision in the end zone. So he blew the whistle early. Bryce Young was kind of frustrated because it didn't quite go exactly the way they wanted it to go. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, you got to work got, the kinks out. Well, yeah, no, just work the kinks out. But it's okay that he shows a little emotion. It's okay to be frustrated. But... When frustration really hurts you is when you let one negative play lead you to another negative play. Yeah. I say this oftentimes when I when I coach lacrosse, when I talk to goaltenders, they look, don't let one goal turn into two. Yeah. Right? Don't let the thought of like, ah, I should have had that save lead you to thinking about it too much where you let in another goal. Then it starts to snowball and spiral. If he's not doing that, then that's okay. It's okay to show frustration. That's totally fine. Now, some people will throw out his stats, stats, and put air quotes, stats from Saturday. It's like, this wasn't a game, folks. It's practice. But he went 7 to 15, completing passes. Now, we got to add context to that, though. Bryce Young on Saturday. Yes, yeah, 7 to 15. You're like, oh, it's below 50%. I thought this guy was supposed to be great. Three drop passes. 7 to 15 goes to 10 to 15. All of a sudden, like, wait a second. That's 66.7%. Right. That's much better. Bad. Two of those drops were also in the end zone. Okay, so receiver, step it up. Which leads me to the third thing. Oh, sorry, the fourth thing. Mm-hmm. So third thing, Bryce Young got frustrated a little bit on Saturday, and that's okay. They said, you know what, defense won, defense won on Saturday. That's fine. I think the Carolina Panthers actually are off today because, again, they have joint practices with the Jets starting on Wednesday. Oh, boy. But that kind of ties into my first point. Defense is ahead of the offense right now, and that's fine. Yeah. That's okay as well. All right. Fourth thing, Victoria. Yes. 
Adam Golden Studio with my man, Coach Pete DeRuta, Capital Financial Advisory Group. You have a 401k, but you're changing jobs. You're taking that 401k with you. Next step. Well, a lot of people leave it behind, which is not a good thing. I mean, if you're not at the company anymore, your 401k shouldn't either. And that's when it's time for my 401k survival oh, oh, look box at that. set. You see it right here. I've got workbooks, <laughs> guidebooks, DVDs in here that explain everything about your 401k. More importantly, how to build a lifetime income. It's a $300 value. I'm also going to give you a total retirement plan, which is a $1,000 value for the next 18 of you who call right now. No cost or obligation. Call 888-843-0013 or text Adam to 600-700. Adam Gold is a paid spokesman. Investment advisory services offered by Capital Financial Advisory Group, a North Carolina registered investment advisor. Bryce Young's going to start the preseason game on Saturday. The big open secret. That, like, wow. I'm sorry. He's QB1. Of course he's going to start. Yeah. Now there's going to be... They have a plan. Frank Reich did say over the weekend that there is a plan on number of snaps and number of series that Bryce Young will, will take. But a lot of that's going to be determined on kind of the flow of the game, kind of feeling things out. So, for example, if they go out there and they, he has two drives where they put together like eight, ten plays, and they look really good, so he gets about 20 offensive snaps in, maybe you call it after that. Yeah. Or maybe, you know what, they go three and out, and they go three and out, you put him out there for a third series. I'm not entirely sure what the plan is for him. Maybe he plays the whole first half. We'll see. But the guy needs live reps. In a live game. But you also have to balance it out of, this is your franchise quarterback. <laughs> you don't want this dude getting hurt. No. I don't want him out there playing with third team offensive line. Yeah. That's the thing I don't want him to, see, to, to have. Now, it would not surprise me that the Jets, with a lot of the veterans on, def- on defense that are coming back, wouldn't surprise me if they don't play a lot of guys in the preseason sure. game. It also wouldn't surprise me if, for the Carolina Panthers that – Guys like Shaq Thompson, Brian Burns, Derek Brown don't play in the preseason game either yeah. because we have the joint practices on Wednesday and Thursday. So that can determine a lot of the reps that he's going to see in preseason game number one on Saturday against the Jets at Bank of America Stadium. That's a 4 o'clock kickoff. I will be there. I'm very excited for it. Yes. Let's leads me to my fifth and final thing. Okay. Something we've seen for the Carolina Panthers as a whole, staying healthy. Please and thank staying you. Staying healthy. That's it. You said it. Please and thank you. Mm -hmm. Just stay healthy. That's all we ask. Just stay healthy. Now, by all accounts right now, yeah, there's there's guys are a little bit nicked up, things along those lines. Austin Corbett still recovering from the knee injury, the ACL that he suffered back in January at season's end last year. Chandler Zavala with the pectoral injury. So you're going to have injuries. Those things are going to happen. Marquise Haynes, who I mentioned earlier, also dealing with injury as well. But Nothing major. Right. Knock on wood. That's me knocking on wood right now. So nothing major right now. That's the thing. You want to be as healthy as possible going into the season. Not just healthy. There's one thing like, all right, if a guy gets injured in camp and then they rehab and they're ready for game one, that's different than actually training and preparing for game one. This is the thing a lot of people sometimes confuse when it comes to guys being healthy. When a guy is coming off an injury, for example, Austin Corbett Mm -hmm. at right guard, started all all season last year on the offensive line. He's rehabbing and recovering from a major injury. Rehab and recovery is different than training for a season. You're like, oh, yeah, he rehabbed, and he's now he's ready to play. But you're not actually fully trained to get yourself to where you need it to be to actually be at your top form, if right. that makes sense. There's a difference. To level back up to where you were. Yeah, and that takes time. This yep. is so. That's why sometimes it's not just the first year after the injury; it's the next year uh, where you actually see guys actually truly at their top form. Because again, 
Training and rehab are two totally different things. You want to make sure that you guys are training during the preseason, not have to worry about like, oh, okay, I, I sprained an ankle. Okay, well, that's fine. You can just miss a few weeks and be ready for the season. It still sets you back a little bit. It does. And once you're injured during the season, you never fully recover. Yeah. So, yeah, health going into the season is a major, major thing. All right, so those are five things on the Carolina Panthers that we've seen so far that I'm also looking forward to yeah. this week. We'll definitely dive more into the Panthers and Bryce Young coming up at 1245. But, Victoria. Yes. The ACC is still intact. Oh, yeah. The ACC is okay. still intact, Woo. folks. Woo. We are okay. We for are now. okay. Well, hey, for now, everything's going to be just fine, Victoria. Yeah. Peaches and cream right. for all yeah. of us. Now, we saw on Friday, I know a lot of this stuff happened after this show ended on Friday. Well, we've seen a lot of realignment, expansion in some conferences. Now, expansion for some conferences, what we're seeing in the Big Ten and the Big 12, means retraction for others. The number of schools that are playing college football or in college sports isn't growing. So all of a sudden, we just went from like 100 FBS schools or whatever it is right now. I know it's like 130, whatever it is, to like 175. Right. That just didn't magically happen overnight. So that means one conference, or in this case, two conferences growing, one subtracting. That one is the Pac-12. Oregon and Washington, they're going to join USC and UCLA to go to the Big Ten starting in the fall of 2024, so a year from now. Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah are going to join Colorado exiting the Big 12. Are exiting the Pac-12 to go to the Big 12, also starting a year from now in the fall of 2024. We'll get more into this at 12:30. By the way, there's nice. a lot of different there's a lot of different angles I'm going in on this. Yes. But okay, why did this happen? Pac-12 failed itself. When the ACC network, the Big Ten network, SEC network were all created years ago. The Pac-12 decided to create its own network, the Pac-12 network. Or I guess it was the Pac-10 maybe at the time. It was Pac-12 network, right? But instead of joining like a television network, for example, ACC Network's part of ESPN, SEC Network part of ESPN, Big Ten Network was part of Fox, right? Instead of joining with another network for distribution of their product, they say, hey, you know what? We're going to keep all this for ourselves. We're going to run everything ourselves. We're going to keep everything for ourselves. And you know what? We're just going to have people pay us directly. Instead, no one bought it. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, hey, I got this nice, shiny product, but no one's buying it. No one will watch it. No one could watch it. And instead of having a steady stream of revenue coming from that and expanding there's actually the talk of the Pac-12 years ago actually expanding and adding schools like Texas. But they actually decided, like, you know what? We're good where we are. Now two-thirds of your league's leaving. Yeah. They're walking away. And now you've left Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State just stuck there with just staring at each other and being like, well, what do we do now? Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's next. But again, no one's left the ACC. That's good. No one's Big left steps. the ACC as much as Florida State's whining Keeps right now. Keeps chirping about it. Yeah, barking as Bubba Barking as he likes. Yes. Now, here's something that also happens in 2024. The college football playoff expands. Okay? So, Heather Dinich of ESPN 
she got on ESPN Radio this morning was discussing different things regarding college football playoff and expansion and things along those lines. So, what does this mean for the college football playoff? The consideration is going to be, I think, a tweak, not necessarily an overhaul to the proposed 12-team model because we don't have time for that. It starts in 2024. So, the most logical consideration would be to have five conference champions and the next seven highest ranked teams as opposed to the six and six model. Cause then you still have conference champions from the SEC, the big 10, the big 12 and the ACC. Then you get another FBS conference champion. There's your five. And then the next seven highest ranked teams. All right. So let's break this down. So the way the college football playoff was set to be in 2024 was four teams. What it is now to 12 teams. Six at-large bids. Yeah, six at-large bids, six automatic qualifiers, right? Kind of like you see in the NCAA tournament. So the five Power Five conferences would all, like, they're champion. You're in the CFP. ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, SEC, Pac-12. All five of them, automatic bid. And whoever the highest-ranked group of five conference champion is, whether it's, for example, ECU out of the American. If you're the highest ranked group of five conference out there, so we're talking like the American, the Sun Belt, the MAC, things along those, like those conferences. If you're the highest ranked, you're in. And then it's six at large. Like whoever the six other highest ranked college football programs, you're in the CFP. And if you win your conference, guess what? You get at minimum a home game. Right. If not an automatic uh, a buy to the second round if you're one of the top four, if you're a conference champion. Yeah, home game. Which is great. Could you imagine, like, Dowdy Thicklin with a home oh, game? The college football playoff would be awesome. Mm-hmm. So now what the Pac-12 is basically done, so this is a, where a tweak has to come into the college football playoff. Okay, you just completely eliminate their automatic bid because they don't exist, basically. Yeah. And then do you let in, again, one more at-large? So there's a lot of things that have to be figured out with the college football playoff when it comes to that. But... In 10 minutes, I'm going to tell you who actually runs college sports right now. But before we get into that, let's get into this. Yesterday morning, I watched it. My girlfriend and I saw the U.S. Women's National Team fall to Sweden in penalty kicks, 5-4 in PKs. So you woke up for it? What time was this? Not 3 a.m., was it? Oh, no, we actually watched it. was a 5 a.m. game, mm-hmm. and we actually just woke up. I YouTube TV, Just I had it recorded, oh, okay. so we just watched it that way. It just... Turned off any notifications in all those regards. So I didn't see the score until it actually, I actually saw it happen. Yeah. The game kind of reminded me a lot of a Carolina Hurricanes game at times. Uh oh. Dominating possession. Tell me if this sounds familiar, Victoria. Dominating possession. Great scoring opportunities. High danger scoring chances, Mm -hmm. right? Not giving up many scoring chances yourself, but goaltending there when you need it to be. Does it yeah, sound familiar? Sounds familiar. Sounds very familiar. Is there a Carolina. siren too there? There should be. <laughs> yeah. But the U.S. women's national team did run into a hot goalie. Like Sweden's goalie was fantastic yesterday. But they didn't get the production from the veterans offensively that they needed. Not just yesterday, but from the whole tournament. Now, U.S., I will say this real quick. Yesterday was their best game of the tournament. Their best game. And they, for the most part, 120 plus minutes, controlled that game. 
Now Sweden had their chances. Sweden's the third ranked nation in the world. Yeah. So it's not like they got beat. It's it's not like when App went up to the big house, right? That's not sure. what we're talking about here. So this is some major upset. I mean, heck, Germany, the number two ranked team, didn't even get to the knockouts. They didn't even get past group stage. But they didn't get the offensive production for the veterans that they needed. Alex Morgan had some good chances yesterday in this game. Created more, but mostly was ineffective throughout the whole tournament, right? Megan Rapino, bad. Yeah. I'm sorry. She was bad. Didn't even play in the game against the Netherlands. Ugh. She, honestly, she provided nothing. And again, yesterday, her strength is like set pieces and service under the box, right? I remember one that she had a corner kick. Julie Ertz made a run, headed it just wide or got deflected. Another corner kick again. She just puts it in the side of the net. It's like wasted scoring opportunity right there. Like yeah. That's your thing. And that doesn't even count the missed PK that she had. That could have put the U.S. up 4-2 to two in that time. Kelly O'Hara, she was subbed late in yesterday to be used in PKs. Along with uh, along with Sam Buis' younger sister, Christy, if I remember correctly. Now, now Buis nailed her PK. But Kelly O'Hara was subbed in late yesterday. She was needed in PKs when they got past the fifth round. And she missed. She hit the frame as well. So, yeah, some of these veteran players that were expected to step up didn't. Also, here's the thing with PKs. Put PKs on goal. Make the goalie stop it. We saw the U.S. after drilling the first three in the back of the net. They missed three straight. Or three of the last four, I should say. Alyssa Nair, the goalie for the U.S. in a PK, actually ended up scoring on a PK herself. Now, Sweden's goalie was great, but she never had to make one save during PKs. Because the U.S. missed the net three times. She didn't have to make a save. But the U.S. had the ball late. They had the ball had a chance to win, and they didn't. It's like you have the ball, like, on the one-yard line. All you got to get the ball across the line, and you you win the game, it's right? It's there for you. It's there for you. Yeah, you had the ball. Sophia Smith, who's a young player, 23 years old, she missed the net wide. She had the goalie beat. Goalie guessed wrong. Hit the net. Completely different conversation as well. Also, people say that the world is caught up to the U.S. women's national team. I'll point this out. The world's been there. The U.S. has just won the games. The world's been there. The U.S. women's national team hasn't won the Olympics since 2012. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Since 2012, and it's the same players in women's soccer in the World Cup as it is for the Olympics. Now, the roster size is slightly smaller because the Olympics has different restrictions, but... Hey, whereas like men's soccer in the Olympics has like has an age restriction as well. Like you can only have like two players over the age of like twenty-three. It's weird. But Germany won in twenty sixteen. Canada won, I guess it was technically the twenty twenty Olympics, but it was played two years ago in Tokyo. So this isn't surprising. Yes, the women's national team has won two straight World Cups. 
But the world has been there. Just the U.S. has just been better than what they were this year. So it isn't four years from now for the U.S. women's national team to turn things around. It's next year in 2024 in Paris. That's how quickly this program has to turn around. Do they retain their manager? I don't know. That's a major question. But Julie Ertz announced that she's retiring. Megan Rapino, that we know that she's gone. Okay. Can this young group of players that did play, Trinity Robin, who's 20, 21 years old, Sophia Smith, who 23 years old, do you get a Mallory Pugh back? Sam Mewis was also missing. Becky Sauerbrunn, who was a staple of that on that back line as a center back, she was missing as well, which caused Julie Ertz to not play in the midfield. So some injuries and stuff before the actual World Cup played a factor into this. But like I said earlier, the U.S. had the ball with the chance to win, and they missed. It's really it. It's you had, they, It's very disappointing. They've never lost at this stage in the World Cup. So, yeah, it's extremely disappointing. It's a bummer because I enjoy watching the U.S. women's national team play.